Welcome to the MetaZen Cabinet, where we get experimental about exploring your potential so you can discover your own values, the manner in which you're here to serve, and align yourself with the only certifiable rescue team you can rely on, yourself. Episode 13, House Rules. Hey y'all, welcome back to the MetaZen cabinet where we get experimental about exploring your potential. And welcome to episode 13. In this episode, we will be talking about the house rules. We'll be just, we'll be talking about the things that you need to do to feel happy and, you know, just restructuring how you can go about setting new rules so you can feel better or feel good more often or better yet whenever you want to because I don't think we always realize the different forces or the different beliefs or the different things that are at play uh, in our day-to-day life and what it takes for us to be happy. So we'll definitely be discussing a great bit of that. Uh, First and foremost, if you are new here, salutations and welcome to the podcast. And if you're coming back, What's up, kids? <laughs> I'm glad that all of you are back, and I'm so grateful for you to be here. And I appreciate again the continuous love and all its radi- uh, radiant expressions of care and abundance, and you know, just love for this platform and for what I call art. And hopefully, you know, to someone someday. Maybe uh, a necessary kind of medicine, if you will, because I want, you know, I live to inspire and to hopefully speak life into people. That's my intention to motivate. And, you know, one of the things I love to do here on this podcast is to prioritize mental health and, you know, to really be your best in your mind, psychologically, mentally, emotionally, physically, but definitely that mental health. I feel like that's one of the key points that's downplayed a lot. So I definitely want us to get into that. In the first segment, we'll be talking more about tormentors. Well, not more. I I haven't mentioned it recently, but we'll be talking about tormentors. In the second segment, we'll be talking more about your mental makeup, your faculties, the things that allow you to do what you do, your executive functions and functions <laughs> and how those work and how they're very important to your mental health. And in the last segment, we'll be talking about learned helplessness and moving in the right direction. So stay tuned for that because we're going to jump in and it's going to get a little hot. So stick with me. Bye. Joshua Kai said, even the smallest shift in perspective can bring about the greatest healing. I personally love this quote because I feel like as a person, one of the greatest decisions you can make in this life is making the choice to learn how to shift your point of view or your perspective of a situation or an experience or 
how you see life in general or your challenges or how Quincy Jones calls them puzzles and even your opportunities. I really think that when we learn how to feel good when we want, how to feel productive or just how to feel special or whatever we desire in the moment, whenever we want to, we're really starting to lock into or tap into real power, real prosperity. And one of the best ways that you can do that is by setting new house rules. I call them house rules. uh, Tony Robbins actually inspired this idea. I think he calls them pleasure rules or pleasure principles, pleasure rules, I think. And what it is, is really what does life have to look like in order for you to be happy? You know, what does, what has to happen in order for you to feel good? What needs to happen for you to feel stable, for you to feel secure? What does your family need to do to make you feel loved? What does your significant other or life partner need to do to make you feel valued, respected, or secure? What do you need to do for yourself to make you feel valued or that that you matter and that you're special? I think the thing that really sets happy and unhappy people apart or successful and unsuccessful people apart is that they make rules about, they attach their rules of happiness to things that they can't control, whether it's your job, whether it's a person or a particular kind of relationship or business and things that you can't control. I really think that when you get up every morning and decide that you're going to be happy or that you're going to have a great day no matter what, that you're going to be kind to everyone, including yourself, no matter what, you're definitely embodying the building blocks of what it is to have a better attitude and to approach your day with self-efficacy and to just really be positive and, you know, be intentional about your day. I do feel like it can be harder for most people to set new house rules or better house rules because they don't really have, they don't really know what their rules are. They don't know what their values are. They don't know quite what their beliefs are. And essentially they don't know who they are. A lot of the rules and beliefs and ideas that we have about life, we usually gather them as a kid from our parents, from the people we grew up around, our family, our friends. And That leads me into my next point. I feel like some people really struggle with setting better house rules because they don't expect a lot out of life. They've probably been through a whole lot and they feel like most things are uncontrollable. The past has been a mess and you weren't able to control that so they won't be able to control the future. And I think a lot of that belief comes from spending time around tormentors. A tormentor is someone who is a person or a bully that inflicts severe mental or even physical suffering on someone. Tormentors can be family, they can be friends, they can be significant others, they can be children, they can be co-workers, they can be bosses. Tormentors can really be anywhere, but in this particular function, I do want to talk about the ones that are a little bit more homegrown, whether it's it's family, friends, etc. I feel like you can definitely spot a tormentor easily in the following ways. One, they engage in intellectual bullying. You know, I definitely experienced this a lot with having conversations or even arguments with relatives and you know, someone trying to 
violate me intellectually. You know, when I have, when I'm trying to express a point or my feelings, they're telling me that I don't know what a word means or that I don't fully understand the concept and really, you know, just trying to render me incapable of feeling what I'm feeling. And it can be the same way with you, but that intellectual bullying where they try to make you feel like an idiot or make you feel like you're not smart enough or good enough to feel what you're feeling, to share what you're sharing. They can also twist facts. You know, you can tell them things and they can put a twisted spin on it. Perhaps you had an acquaintance or, you know, a family member or friend or whoever, and you had a situation where you were sharing with someone that they violated the boundary. And you wanted to let them know that that situation hurt you, or bothered you, offended you, etc. And in expressing that violation of your boundary, they turned the situation around and twisted your words. And, you know, okay, fine, I'm the bad guy. I'll be the bad person. I'm always doing wrong. And just twisting the facts and taking and, you know, putting the attention on them to relieve themselves of accountability. Maybe they also use your feelings against you. They use your insecurities against you. They use guilt trips and ultimatums. They gaslight you. You know, maybe they try to one-up you. You know, when you're having a bad day, you're going through something, they try to bring out something that's even more, you know, negative or, you know, something that's a little bit more unpleasant to one-up your situation, to make your situation seem insignificant. They tend to diminish your problems and play up their own. You know, they make you feel sorry for, you know, their concerns. And they tend to act like the martyr and they definitely tend to act like a martyr. And they definitely tend to lack accountability a great deal. So that's definitely one of a few ways. These are definitely some suggestions or some experiences I've had with these. So, you know, just share more or less my own experiences. I feel like tormentors are very important because depending on how much time you spend around them, you're allowing them to mold your perception of people. You're allowing them to mold your perception of life and of the world. And you're allowing them to mold your expectations of what's to come out of life. And I think that can be very unhealthy and toxic. And that's not to be judgmental again and always just speaking from personal experience. Over the course of my life, I've spent a lot of time being around people who could have, if I let them, really damaged my ability to trust people and trust in people and believe in goodness and believe in the value of character because, you know, I feel like I spent a lot of time around people who haven't really prioritized character and as a 32-year-old male, it's just I learned it's one of the most important things. It's one of the most important things to me. You know, I remember being very young, as early as maybe first, second, and third grade, and just being tormented by people because I enjoyed school. Like, I love school, and school was something that I loved to talk about all the time. I look forward to spelling tests. I look forward to quizzes and tests in general. I look forward to testing my knowledge. It's because school was one of the first places that ever really affirmed my value, that made me special, that singled out me as an individual in a positive way. 
and it made me feel powerful. So I always looked forward to getting back to school. Wasn't always as happy about winter breaks and different things like that, like other kids, because, you know, I just love school. I always look forward to the next grade. I always look forward to learning more. But, you know, I spend a lot of time around kids and people that, you know, want to make me feel insecure about loving school and stop talking about school. It's the weekend. What are you still talking about school for? And, you know, just really lots of just crappy attitudes and, you know, beliefs and understandings about life that could have very well influenced me negatively. But I'm very grateful to this day that I didn't allow it to. I've definitely spent a lot of time just receiving torment from people about being myself. You know, I was a very creative kid. I loved to do creative things. I started writing poetry very, very early. Started writing short stories very, very early. You know, my older sister, she actually did share a lot when I was a kid. And, you know, in our house, she would definitely do people's hair from time to time. And it definitely inspired me. And it felt like another creative outlet that I can express myself in. So, you know, my younger sister had dolls and, you know, I took it up. I was about maybe seven or eight. And, you know, starting out there and I received so much torment and ridicule about doing that. I received so much shame about doing that and being myself. And, you know, even that young, I was able to realize that the shame, well, me being shamed and, you know, all the judgment that was being placed on me, it was never much about me as it was about how it made other people look, how it made the family look, how it made my parents look, and how it made everybody look overall. And it just, you know, set that thing off in me where it just, you know, made me shut down a little bit. But as I got older, I started reconnecting with that part of myself because to reject those things that made them torment me would, you know, allow them to win. And, you know, they're at home sleeping and I'm who I have to work with. So I had to learn how to accept myself in those things and love what I love, like what I like, and be willing to piss people off. You know, as a kid, I used to feel like I was incapable of making my dad proud. I used to, even when it came to my playing with dolls, like I feel like I used to hide in the room and hide out and lock the door so, you know, he wouldn't come and find me, you know, playing with the doll and just having that look of embarrassment and just shame. And it's just like, you know, not wanting to disappoint him. And, you know, I grew up thinking that it was more important not to disappoint him than to disappoint myself. And I'm really glad and grateful for God's grace because that's not a place to live and that's not a thing for a child to learn early. And just really grateful to have outgrown that. And we all have situations like that where we've been tormented under people's control and people's expectations of us and who they want us to be and how we're to behave or how we're to act or how we're to dress, who we love, who we're to love or where we're to go or what school to go to and just how your actions and the decisions that you make for your life just always affects everybody else's life and it's always this thing of presenting well and it's like fuck that you know like I ain't know you know like I've had this thing to this day about presenting well and just putting on fake pretenses to 
you know, look acceptable or look presentable so people don't know that you have something to hide or that you're imperfect or whatever like that. And I don't believe none of that. You know, it just makes me sick and it shows a lack of in inauthentic behavior and, you know, uh, a lack of self-care and self-acceptance, you know, but I'm glad for these experiences because they have created depth in me and they definitely shown a light on the value and the importance of being authentic and for the rest of my life I won't allow myself to be not muzzled and the opinions of no one to control me and I think you should definitely do the same thing. Leo Tolstoy said I am always with myself and it is I who am who is my tormentor. I love this quote because it definitely signifies and drives home the point that we can start out our life you know, being taught the wrong things, the self-loathing things, the, you know, how what we do is an embarrassment and just taught all the wrong things. But if we grow up and still inflict that damage on ourselves and still treat ourselves poorly that way, we're our own tormentors. So we have to take ownership of our health, our mental health and committing to the process of loving ourselves better and purely and more productively and that's definitely something that I had to take and you know take on by my take on for myself and it's the same thing with you it may not always seem easy or fair because someone else had a hand in treating you away but I've definitely found that all of it that there are no accidents there are no mistakes and whatever you received whatever bad treatment you received it was supposed to deepen the well and create that depth for you to be more giving and loving to the next person. And it may not necessarily seem like it or seem like that makes sense, but, you know, with all the things that I've, you know, went through and encountered, it's made me twice the lover, twice the giver, and more twice as compassionate, twice as passionate, and just wanting to make sure that if there are other people who have went through what I've went through, that you know you you know you matter. It's just a part of what I stand for. It makes me who I am. So I'm grateful for all of those experiences. I don't think any less of those experiences or the people that had a hand in them. I thank them wholeheartedly. One thing that I, uh, I did have to learn, I had to learn the hard way is that you don't get anything done when you keep your tormentors around. You know, so many of us, it can be a father that suffered with addiction or drugs or alcohol. It could be a mother who suffered with mental health issues or whatever. It can be a brother who was a molester or, you know, who was an abuser or it could be anything and you know they might have had whatever impression on you we just feel like we're raised it's this program that goes on where they're family they're cousins they're your cousin they're your best friend or your friend or friend of the family or whoever and they just have to be here and I just have to coexist with them despite what they did to me or what they said or what happened and I'm telling you that you don't have to do that one of the hardest but one of the best decisions that I've made in my life was removing tormentors removing people that didn't mean me well in their heart they probably did it's just their attitude with their hearts and they weren't always able to show me that 
or communicate that in the way that I think they thought they did or in a way that I was able to recognize and appreciate that made me feel valued or respected. So either way, I had to make the first move. And it was hard for me because I'm someone who's adopted and I've struggled with abandonment issues. So that thing of people leaving you, you know, people are not always calling you or keeping up, you know, keeping up with you or, you know, trying to feed the connection, grow the connection. You know, those things definitely used to scare me so much. And I used to spend so much time fearing that, you know, it would just be one day where we wouldn't, you know, me and my family wouldn't be talking. And I realized that we actually walked into that territory a long time ago. You know, and I think I was just in denial and deluded myself. And I had to make the first move. I had to see who I am outside of that unit, outside of all of that history, outside of that lack of healing and outside of all the unprocessed emotions and just all the everything outside of the abyss. I'm going to tell you now that it won't be easy. And I had to get myself to the point where it drove me up a wall. And I had to get to the point where I had to, you know, fight for my life and fight for my survival. It's pretty much at the point where it's like, it's me or you. And I had to learn that that was one of the best perspectives I can take with anyone, family, friends, whoever. It's me or you when it comes to my mental health. And you know, how I feel and what makes me feel respected and valued. It's me or you. And in me making the decision to choose me, it was one of the best things that I've done. And I encourage you to choose you. Choose you all, to all uh, choose you always, choose you all the time. People will make jokes and judgment about you being selfish, but when it comes to committing to loving yourself better and showing up for yourself in a way you don't recognize or you've never done, it's going to take you being a little selfish. So I hope that I was able to shed a little light and hopefully encourage you to remove the pieces of the puzzle that don't work and look out for you because that's who you have to deal with. That's who you have to honor. That's who you have to nurture, nourish, parent, appreciate, and be at your best for yourself. Like always, think about it. Chuck Bear said, helplessness is such a rotten feeling. There's nothing you can do about it. Being helpless is like being paralyzed. It's sickness. The cure calls for a monumental effort to stand up and start walking somewhere, anywhere. But that takes some doing. I love this quote because I feel like there are three kinds of people. There's the person that actually seeks out the cure to do something about the helplessness. There's the person that just feels like it's not going to get any better and life will continue to persist the way it has. And there's the person who tries to seek distraction or numbness from the helplessness so they don't have to pay attention to it or feel its effects. And that can usually be by addiction or staying busy you know, or whatever that person may choose. I will say that I've spent a lot of my life being the person, the, you know, the middle option, the person that was trying to ignore the damage or ignore the helplessness 
and seek out escapes, you know, by way of addiction, you know, been definitely smoking weed for a long time. I've been a pretty long time now since, you know, I've given it up, thank God, you know what I mean? But I used to bury myself underneath that habit to ignore my problems and not assess the situation at hand, to not really assess the state of affairs as it comes to my mental health and what I've been through. And it really took some nerves. It took some balls. It really took, you know, facing me and just getting to the point where I was sick and tired. And, you know, I've always been someone that it's important to me, the people that's in my life. I know everybody can't be rich. I know everybody can't be happy. But the people that are in my life, even if you're not particularly happy right now, it's important to me that the people around me value the importance of being happy and being happy without things, but just being happy within themselves, you know? So definitely prioritizing that mental health and just that overall wanting to be happy as a person. And when you don't prioritize those things the way I do, I definitely don't spend that much time. I don't sp- I don't stay long. I don't, I can't hang out because I can see where you're going. And I can see that that doesn't matter to you. And that matters to me. No matter what's going on with me, all of my efforts, all of my intentions for me to be a happier person in the end, in the long term, in the present, for tomorrow, if allowed, and all of the above. So yeah, that's definitely just a boundary. That's a rule of mine where people that I spend my time with, I have to feel that thing. And again, you know, it's not a thing of trying to control people or whatever like that, but I have to feel that thing in your speech and your body language and your choice of words and your decisions and your goals that, you know, you want to be a happy person in the long run. You want to be happy in general, not happy with a bunch of money, but just happy. You want to be healthy and you want to be happy. One of the most important things I had to learn that I wasn't doing or leaving room for in my life was regulating my emotions, like really processing my emotions. For those of you who don't know, emotional regulation is so essential because it's so deeply connected to your ability to process information, stay alert. It's also connected to your ability to be self-aware and process your actions, your ability to utilize your working memory and access your memories. It's linked to your ability to interchange tasks and not get stuck. It's linked to your ability to take action and even be organized, to have goals, to see things through, to execute. Emotional regulation is interconnected with all of these things. So when you're not emotionally regulating or when you lack lack emotional regulation, you're impaired in so many different areas. So it's not that you're just lacking that one area. This one area is linked to so many different uh, executive functions that you need to operate optimally, you know, as a human being. And when you don't regulate your emotions, you definitely find after a while that your faculties start to fail and you're not as productive. Maybe you're not as successful. You're definitely not as happy. You're not able to take action. You're not able to be aware of your actions or be accountable for your actions. 
Again, it took me being honest with myself. I went through a period, especially in my late teens, early 20s, where I noticed I was viciously unhappy. I was viciously aggressive. And, you know, I didn't take mess off anyone. I mean, I guess I kind of still don't, but it was a lot more volatile and harsh. And especially towards anybody that I felt like had a part to play in who I was at the time. But I didn't take mess off anyone because I wanted to be the person where I barked and a bit loud enough and hard enough where you knew in advance, you know, whether you want to deal with me or not, you know, what you see is what you get. And if you're going to take a risk, cool, if you're not cool, bye, whatever, you know, that kind of thing. And I found that I had to get tired of me, you know? David Livingston, uh, Livingston said that I'll go anywhere provided it be forward. And I had to get in that place where I had to prioritize going forward. I'll do anything and I'll, you know, try anything as long as I'm going forward. But I can't feel like this anymore. I can't feel behind in life anymore. I can't be depressed anymore. I can't experience anxiety anymore. I can't not not take uh, responsibility or accountability for my life. I can't go on blaming people for me being who I am or how I am or behaving the way I do. I can't do none of that because I've learned in paying attention that it does nothing and it helps nothing. It's not helping me heal. So if it's not helping me heal, most of all, it's not the right perspective. It's not the right thing to do. But also on top of that, I was giving my power away and I wasn't being responsible for my life. So I had to pull it in. I made the mistake that in, well, not the mistake, but I was a little naive feeling like if I was going to put myself in a position to start regulating my emotions and processing healthily and optimally, that, you know, me and everybody else should, aka my family, the people that I spend the most time around or talk to the most or share the most time with, we all should together. And I found out, just to keep it short, that that wasn't the best thing to do because everyone has to walk their journey and I can't control anyone, nor do I want to. Maya Yamanuchi said, if you have no control over yourself, you have no desire to control others. And I was trying to facilitate a process when I didn't even have control over myself. So it, it was, you know, I just made, I had to learn a lot on the spot. And I'm grateful for that. With a little research, I definitely found out that, you know, people or children that tend to struggle with communicating their needs, you know, language skills, but who tend to struggle with communicating their needs, tend to struggle with regulating their emotions now. I definitely don't think I was that kid because I've always been very in charge of what I want and knowing what I need. Most times I feel anyway. If anything, I probably was a very demanding kid in the matter of, you know, I know what I need and I know what I need better than you do. So, you know, if we're not going to do it, I'll stop asking, I'll fall back or whatever like that. But Maybe that's the situation with you. Maybe you struggle with regulating your emotions because no one ever taught you how to communicate your needs, how to ask for what you want, how to get what you want. So you maybe had to act out, misbehave, manipulate, lie, steal, distort. And if you're listening to this podcast, maybe you know it's time to switch it up and Evaluate those behaviors and evaluate who you become and who you've been and what you want to be tomorrow, what you want to be a month from now or next year. And it really takes that kind of introspection and being honest with yourself 
I also found that people who struggle greatly with regulating their emotions may be someone who suffers from deficient emotional self-regulation. Now, I'm not trying to be an expert. I'm not an expert in any of this. Again, we're going to discuss lots of human behavior and mental health and different psychology and lots of different things like these just to bring these things to the forefront because people may be struggling with these things and not realize that there's a name for it. You may know someone who's struggling or behaving in these manners and it's important to put a language to it, to put a name or title to it so you can know what kind of help you need to be seeking or that you need to be seeking for them if that's something that you can do. I feel like I definitely grew up with people, with parents, and, you know, that didn't have that experience in regulating their emotions. They really you know, ignore their emotions and really didn't pay much attention to their emotions whatsoever. So, you know, I definitely think there was definitely a lack of self, you know, emotional, uh, self-emotional regulation. hope I'm saying that right. But emotional regulation on their part. So, you know, as a result, you know, I don't think that we were able to learn that. And, you know, when paying attention to myself and my siblings, I definitely see those pieces missing or definitely underdeveloped. And again, this isn't no, you know, disrespect to anyone because a lot of times most people can't give what they have. And I certainly empathize with that. And that's the reason this podcast is important because in my not getting it, I was blessed to be able to realize still that it was important. I was able to emulate it and pick it up in other people, in other family units, in other settings, and you know, recognize and know that it's valuable to know that it's a part of, you know, a healthy mental health and you know, just doing the right thing for myself and honoring myself by regulating my emotions. And it allows me to be aware of my actions and to really experience self-awareness. You know, I don't feel like I grew up around a lot of that energy of self-awareness. There was just, you know, lots of emotional impulse, you know, impulsive impulsiveness, you know, a low frustration tolerance, you know, definitely sudden exaggerated mood swings, temper outbursts, disproportionate anger, you know, just lots of frustration. And I can understand and empathize that, you know, these things were happening because you know, they didn't know how to regulate their emotions. No one ever taught them. And as an adult now, you know, my heart goes out to them. And, you know, I love them so much because they were underloved and undertaught. And they grew up and they raised children where they weren't able to give those parts to their children, but they were able to love us to the best of their ability. I've also made mistakes in, you know, trying to convince my siblings that, you know, that they didn't give us those pieces. And with us not having those pieces, we have to be aware of that and be proactive in learning how to do and develop certain things so we can give them to our children. I don't have children, but to give, you know, just in the future, you know, they have children, but to just treat the next generation better, to be mentally healthier for the next generation. One of the things that I am most grateful for is God making me a truth seeker and a student. You know, I've had some very, you know, rocky and challenging and spiritually, 
you know, potentially spiritually crushing experiences, but, you know, some experiences did crush me uh, spiritually. And, you know, one of those was, you know, getting evicted from my home, you know, years ago. And it just, it was one of the things that it, it taught me so many, taught me so many things, but it was one of the things I feared for so long because, you know, stability is important to all of us. And I felt like I didn't have a lot of the skills to be as successful as I was in doing that. I mean, I was, you know, in that apartment for years since I was 22. You know, about six or so years, you know, six and a half years. And I felt like that experience made me stop. You know what I mean? I felt like I spent a lot of time outrunning experiences, outrunning pain, escaping things, just, you know, wanting to avoid all the bad things and just, you know, make my own, make up my own la la land pretend. But that experience made me wake up. It made me stronger. It definitely exposed me to a tougher situation that many people aren't able to conquer. And, you know, that people go their, their whole lives fearing and being scared of. You know, a lot of people have that experience in their 50s and 60s and they're not the same person, but I was able to be young and flexible, mentally flexible and you know, resilient, and it's changed me, and it's made me more fearless and scared of nothing. You know what I mean? It also put me in a position where, when it comes to me working for anyone, if that's a lifestyle I choose for myself, you know that I have to do the things that I'm aligned with my talents or my vision, my goals. If I don't, it's not going to work. And you know. I've said it before, but it's like I walk the damn streets before I put myself in a situation where I'm being a zombie for a purpose or a goal that isn't my own. I'm also very grateful for my relationship. I've been in a relationship for next year in June, we'll make 10 years, and it's been one of the hardest, challenging things, or one of the best, brightest, and most beautiful experiences I've ever had because, again, I'm someone that values communication. I'm a student of life. I'm a student of experience. I love to leverage everyone's experiences to, you know, allow me to be better for the next moment, for tomorrow, as best as I can, and to have someone that I can learn from, to have someone that can call you out on your shit, someone to hold you supremely accountable and for someone to help you raise the standard of how you treat yourself, how you treat them, to teach you different things about life, to give you different points of views, to ask questions that make you think, to jerk and stretch your character and make you more of who you're meant to be, to, you know, make you face your fears, to make you face your insecurities, to, you know, make you face the things that didn't make you happy, to make you address or confront the people or situations that didn't bring out the best in you. It's definitely done great things for me, you know, and Again, just so many other experiences, but it's so important to be in a situation where you're valuing your ability to regulate your emotions, to be aware of your emotions, to process your emotions. Because if you don't act like they exist, you, you know, they wear you, you don't wear them. One of the things that have helped me a great deal in being better, being able to better regulate my emotions is 
meditation. Meditation, I've mentioned it a few times, but it's really being the button of life that pauses life. You know, when you're meditating, you're taking those deep breaths, your eyes are closed, and you're just in touch with something bigger and larger and more brilliant and powerful than yourself. You know, it really slows life down. It allows you to check out on your humanhood and be a spiritual being, to be a spirit, to just be a soul, to just not be black, not be, you know, Eddie, not be gay, not be from Chicago, not be anything, but to just be, to leave all your worries and world issues and problems about your money, your relationships or whatever behind and to just be. And I really suggest it to everyone. Start out small if you have to, but I really suggest meditation, you know, and increasing, you know, the mindfulness in your life. Finding books, you know, I've definitely found lots of books that have helped me a lot about understanding, you know, the power of regulating my emotions to just being mentally healthier. You know, if you can afford it, definitely pursue therapy and talk to someone that can help you facilitate that process and show you why it's valuable. Look up some videos on YouTube and educate yourself on why you should be doing these things, but it will make the difference between you being happy and unhappy. You know, changing your diet. A lot of people don't realize that the food we eat is so connected to our mood and our mental health. So it's really a lot of different options you can approach when it comes to this. But if you neglect your emotions, you neglect your faculties. If you neglect your faculties, you're not setting yourself up to operate at your best. You're not setting yourself up to be at your best. So you can avoid what happened when you were a kid or all the dark memories or the dark experiences that have made you miserable and unhappy. But the more you do that, you won't be able to get the most out of your brain. You won't be able to make better rules and set better rules and boundaries for yourself. And you won't be able to get more out of life. So prioritize your mental health because when you don't, it will decline. And as it declines, it will crumble all the ground around you and you'll lack that foundation, that psychological and mental and emotional foundation to be powerful, to be aware, to be healthy, to be present. So put that first and heal, embrace the healing process, embrace whatever needs to be done for you to come to grips with that and regulate those emotions because not regulating allows you to stay drinking, stay smoking, stay hiding behind addiction or staying miserable and violent and abusive. And you're not none of those things. You're beautiful and you're worth more and you deserve more. So it starts now. Think about it. Albert Bandura said, people who regard themselves as highly efficacious act, think, and feel differently from those who perceive themselves as inefficacious. They produce their own future rather than simply foretell it. I love this quote because I feel like it speaks to one of the main principles of success and it's creating the circumstances that you want. 
You could have come from poverty and come from being poor or come from an abusive family or, uh, you know, domestic abuse in a relationship or, you know, racism or, you know, uh, homophobia, you know, racial prejudice, all types of different things. You can, you know, transphobia, you can come from anything and, you know, go through anything and still have the future you want still command your own circumstances and do what it is that you want to do. Although I grew up in a nice middle uh, class home and family, I feel like mentally, emotionally, and psychologically, we were still poor. And it was just because even though we were doing well, I couldn't see it, I couldn't feel it. And there was still a lot of that lack. There was still a lot of that you know, don't talk about money and don't ask for money and there's never enough, there's never enough. And just really, a really poor attitude towards money and just, you know, success. And so it always made me feel like that even though we were doing better, we're still poor because we could never bask in our success. We could, we, you know, I just never knew that we were doing well because it usually seemed like it was always something wrong. And I knew that was more of a mindset matter more of a perspective and essentially what I guess would call more of a learned helplessness. I feel like learned helplessness is definitely another reason setting better house rules or setting better pleasure rules for yourself in terms of what it requires, what you, what you require to be happy or to feel good can be complicated because with learned helplessness, that entails you once in the past being in a situation where you were subjected to some unpleasant event or situation or punishment and over a period of time this damage was being inflicted on you and you felt like you couldn't control the situation you couldn't control the outcome and after a while you pretty much gave into the fact that this is just what life is this is what life brings even when there are opportunities available to change the narrative or to create change, you don't take advantage of them because you've convinced yourself in a situation that's convinced you that this is just what life is and the future is uncontrollable. You're, the outcome is out of your hands. The past, you couldn't do anything about you. There's no point of giving any effort to the present or to the future. Now, as an African-American male, who is, you know, who has a history or ancestors that were a part of slavery. I feel like it was definitely, you know, learned helplessness was, learned helplessness is a large part of my history and a large part of my present. And in noticing that, you know, early, you know, a little earlier, it's just, I never wanted to be someone that you know, was a victim and learn, you know, people that struggle with learn helplessness aren't victims. It's just people that have been through such harsh and terrible situations that you can't see a way out or you just don't expect much of the future. You know, you don't expect the future to be any brighter than yesterday because this is all you've known. But like I've known so many people that have grown up in poverty and grown up in terrible and unspeakable living situations that it has, you know, tattooed on their brain, this, you know, give up thing, give in, this is all life will ever be. I've known so many people that embrace, you know, 
the struggle or being poor because they feel like it's all they've ever known. It's all their, you know, their family history. It's all that they've inherited. You know, it's all that their family has ever left them. And this is just a part of their fabric. And this is a part and essentially a part of what they deserve. And that's always broken my heart because even though there are no millionaires in my family, it is my goal to someday soon be one of the first millionaires in my family because I want to create that possibility and it's important to be able to see the possibility of change to feel the possibility of power and redirection and to know that yesterday was crappy but tomorrow's still coming and I can make it better the best that I can I just have to set the intention I myself, I've been someone that struggled with learned helplessness for many years, especially as a kid, especially as a kid, you know, um, you can recognize people that struggle with it, you know, with their inability to ask for help or they get very, you know, I'm very easily frustrated. You know, they give up easily. They just really lack that grit. You know, they have a lack of effort in terms of putting their best foot forward or, you know, trying in life. You know, they have that low self-esteem. They procrastinate, you know, just very poor poor motivation and very passive just nonchalant not caring and like I said I've been there you know growing up I've been on the receiving end of so much scrutiny and homophobia and just all the things that you just can't imagine and it made me develop this thick skin and thick exterior where and it's very loud and aggressive fight to the point of if this is what's going on in my house, or if this is what's going on in the family, or going on in my environment, going on in my environment, I need to be ready for the world. I need to be ready for people outside this gate, outside my zip code that may try to step to me or that may try to try me. You know, it felt like yeah, I, it was the gruesome training that I needed to have to deal with people. Now, I learned years ago that all that wasn't necessary, but it's just because I thought that, you know, with what I, what I was coming from, if this is the way people are outside of this place, outside of this house, that, you know, I need to be prepared for this. So, you know, I, pretty much acted like there was a continuity of dysfunction or aggressiveness and, or homophobia and scrutiny and just very judgy personalities and different things like that. So, you know, I learned how to get ready for that. And, you know, in my present situation as a kid and bucking up and talking back and just not having it from nobody and just always caught up in stuff, but it was just one of those things in short where I thought that's the way people were. So, you know, that that this is the way people are being to me. So this is the way people are. So I prophesized the future for the present and it's the, the past. But like I said before in previous episodes, one of the saving graces that I had was I've always been a student and as a student, I'm all, I've always been had an openness to new ideas, whether it's books and or people, and you know, allow myself to be open and susceptible to motivation and inspiration wherever I can find it. You know, C.S. Lewis said that hardships often prepare ordinary people for an extraordinary destiny. And 
you know, one of the things that I started doing with my helplessness was entertaining the idea of what if God has allowed all this to happen because I'm going to need to have this thick, thick skin or to have a mental toughness for a larger journey or more transcendent goal in the future. And just really playing around with that narrative. And the more I played around with it, the more it started inspiring me. And, you know, I felt like, what if I'm on my own quest in my own journey? I love how Kevin Hart says, You're, we're all writing our own books. So, you know, what if the plot of my book, you know, started out very rocky and very tumultuous, but it was to make me someone special, to make me someone loving and compassionate, someone that's needed, someone that's about sharing light, or what I like to call a light worker, someone that transmutes darkness and negativity into love and light. One thing that my experiences have definitely done, and it's made me very courageous, you know, I've spent years and I had to take some time in getting my voice back and, you know, gaining my confidence and promoting myself and loving on myself, you know, it took me standing up to my mom on consistent in consistent situations or, you know, standing up to my dad or standing up to, you know, my biological mom or standing up to my brothers or standing up to my sister or standing up to whoever just to kind of show or tell people that, you know, I have nothing to prove and that I have to put me first. And I thought, you know, you understood that. So, you know, whether you do or not, it really doesn't matter. But I have to put me first. I got to figure out what I need. And I got to figure out what matters to me. I, you know, and maybe that's where you need to start and getting your voice back. Maybe you don't necessarily need to uh, stand up to anyone or confront anyone, but you need to figure out what it is exactly that makes you feel helpless. What makes you feel like you can't change your future may be worth looking into. Maybe you need to get therapy. You know, I was doing some research and found out about, uh, what's that, CBT, Cognitive Behavioral Therapy, where you pretty much, you know, go to a therapist and they help you identify negative thought patterns that, you know, contribute to your feelings of uh, learned helplessness. And you pretty much get to, you know, work through some scenarios or work through some things and get to the bottom of, What's holding you back and what makes you feel helpless like you can't, you know, really affect your future the way you want to, to affect change in your life the way you want to. One thing I've always done is, again, learning and leveraging the experience around me. And I have relatives and friends and different people that have, you know, that are experiencing things psychologically and emotionally and mentally. And they have been experiencing them long term and they're getting older. There's a lot of conditions, a lot of personality disorders and different things are being crystallized and people are becoming more and more set in their ways and it becomes harder to change and it becomes easier to, you know, be more ingrained in that reality of this is just me, this is the way I am and I'm not going to change and, you know, and learning and seeing that kind of behavior it gave me an incentive to definitely start as young as I can and to take advantage of things as early as I can because as I allow myself to age and get older, it's going to become more complicated and more challenging. So yeah, you know, you be glad when you get as you get older, you become more risk aversive. So definitely take advantage of your youth 
and heal these things and prioritize that healing and that growth and put your best foot forward. I honestly feel like because of learned helplessness and, you know, because of learned helplessness and how prevalent it is in the Black community, I can only speak from my own experience, that a lot of us don't believe in therapy because we don't believe that someone can come in and listen to us and help us have a breakthrough because there's never been anyone in our life to help us do that. So the fact that there's someone that's able to do that now, or you know, even though therapy's been around for ton, you know hundreds of years, I'm sure that for someone to actually come in there and do that and they not know you, different things like that, it's just kooky. It doesn't make sense, and I feel like that's the thing that keeps us set back and the thing where we pass on mental decline to the younger generations over and over. We get older, we become adults, we want children, but we're not getting our shit together. We're not trying to be healthier for the next generation. We're not trying to be healthier and more positive for the children that we'll bear. We just want to get older and pass our drama, pass our pathologies, pass our negativity and toxic behavior onto children and make them pay for what we've went through. And they're going to do it to their children. And it's ongoing. And I can't stand that. Like, it's lots of different pathologies in my family. And I see myself as a disruptor. You know, that's always kind of made it a little challenging for me in my family and just in my life because I like to see myself as someone who disrupts shit, you know, especially toxic and negative counterproductive shit that doesn't set anyone up to be better. You just want it to be toxic and just dwell in mediocrity because it's all you've ever known. Now, I don't want to judge anyone. I'm not judging anyone. It's just, I just want us to want better for ourselves. And I know I can't want it more than anyone else for them, but I just want us to want better. I just want us to commit to loving ourselves, you know, and taking our power back. So many of us have been through impossible, unspeakable situations. And we're in our 40s, 50s, 60s, 70s, 20s, 30s, whatever, any age, and just still projecting that blame onto someone else and you know we're at the place now where you're at the place now especially if you're an adult where you can't put your closure your healing on the burner for someone to be accountable sometimes you hate most times you have to move like you can you know that account they've been accountable and they're doing the best they do, that they can or they did the best they can that's one of the things that have definitely helped me you know, was facilitating the forgiveness in my life and forgiving people, forgiving family, and just outgrowing a lot of situations. It's not going to be easy. It's going to feel wrong. It's going to feel fake. But in me entertaining the fact that they did the best they could, after a while, I was able to develop and have insights that allowed me to be more empathetic of them and to consider their experience and to, you know, consider what they might have went through or what experiences they have that has shaped them to be who they are. So as opposed to giving them a hard time and judging who they are by their character, you know, think about what you know about them and what you don't know about them and where they come from. Maybe it's your parents. You know, if your parents didn't come from loving beginnings, if you know if your mom didn't know her dad or she wasn't raised with her mom or your dad didn't know his dad or, you know, his mom was never really around, 
you know, everybody's different, but when you think about what you got from them, you can make more sense than that. It doesn't, it isn't easy and it isn't always, it doesn't seem fair, but what's not fair is aging and dysfunction, aging, aging in mediocrity, aging in instability, emotional instability, psychological decline, aging in crystallizing all that garbage in your old age and not being able to take advantage of this beautiful experience that is life and not being able to be present for yourself in this very moment and not being able to be aware of your actions or the effect that you're having on people because you're still lost in a moment that happened 30 years ago and not being able to give love and respect your children's feelings because your parents can respect yours. So you don't know what that kind of respect looks like. It's just time that we all treat each other better and release the shackles and release the things that are keeping us from being free. You know, freedom and authenticity is definitely one of my two highest values because you have to be free. You have to be free in all that you do. When we feel caged, imprisoned, you know, we, we don't think our best. We don't perform or behave our best. And you have to put those things uh, put those things first. So definitely commit to loving yourself and relinquishing that helplessness because you're not a victim and your happiness matters. It matters to me. Think about it. Hey y'all, I want to say thank you again for speaking by me and staying tuned tuning into this episode. Uh, I'm so passionate about this topic. We definitely want to get into more mental health things because we need to get this information out into the open, into the public, because it's real and a lot of us are dealing with very real things and we're ashamed to talk about it because we don't want to sound like punks. We don't want to sound weak. We don't want to sound like victims. We don't want to sound like, you know, we're, you know, sounding weak admitting what someone did to us or how it made us feel or, you know, our experiences making us feel insignificant or unimportant and we really again it takes courage it takes facing yourself and facing that shame I don't know about you but at 32 years old and just being where I've been and where I'm going you know Mother Blanca said on Pose we don't have the luxury of shame and I damn sure don't have the luxury of shame that's the reason I keep my stuff real I keep it transparent and I want to keep it open because I don't never want to be in a position where I got spent too much time in that position, but I don't ever want to be the person where I'm ashamed to talk about something or something made me feel embarrassed or made me feel weak or fragile. I've learned that one of the best things I've done in my life is my trip to my vulnerability has made me you know, a real person to other people. And that's a standard I've set for myself. I don't want to be around anyone that's incapable of being vulnerable around. If I feel like you can have a complex about crying and, you know, crying is weak or, you know, I'll die of a heart attack if I allow myself to drop a tear around anybody, whatever like that. I don't want to be around that. I'm not saying that you need to be just a flat out crybaby either, but I do want someone that has that emotional depth and emotional authenticity. 
you know, someone that has that comfort with their emotions where they won't feel any shame or embarrassment about sharing any raw emotion or whatever it is they're going through. You know, I had to definitely remove a lot of people because I felt like I've known you my whole life or I've been related to you my whole life. And now I've never seen you cry. I've never seen you get emotional. I've never seen you break down, but you've seen me break down. Or, you know, different things like that where it's just, it's not really in a value on that emotional health. So, you know, that's just me. But like I said, when it comes to setting better rules, it comes with being a better person, you know, because you don't get in life what you want or what you deserve. You get who you are. You get what you are. So if you're someone that feels helpless, someone that feels in prison, then you're only going to create more of that narrative and more of that drama and more of that static. But if you're someone that's empowered, if you're someone that's healed, or someone that's healing, someone that's productive, someone that's processing, someone that's building up and, you know, supporting their executive uh, functions or whatever that's necessary for you to heal and be your best, then life will return that effort. It, you get what you are. So definitely get that. And you won't be able to set better rules for yourself until you become a better person. Because as you become a better person, you'll be able to change your daily results. And as you change your daily results, you'll be able to change your, to make better decisions. And as you're able to make better decisions, you'll be able to better impact the future. You know, improve your income, to improve your relationships, and to affect your overall prosperity in a great way. It's time for the air segment, y'all, and y'all know how this goes. So this is really my call to action to challenge you to take more action and better action for yourself and for your life and as an extension for the people that you love. So the first letter is E, expunge. Expunge all the tormentors and all the people around you that are getting in the way of you being in your best, being your best. Expunge the people that don't support you going back to school. Expunge the people that don't support you reading more books. Expunge the people that are trying to keep you where you are, keep you stuck, keep you poor, or, you know, keep you unhappy, keep you at the same job, keep you doing what you're doing. You know, expunge the people that are trying to encourage you to have more kids while you don't have enough money to pay bills as it is. Expunge the people that don't support your goals. Expunge the people that don't ask about your goals. Expunge the people that you can't be yourself around. Expunge the people that don't make room for you to be yourself or for you to be vulnerable or for you to be emotional around. Expunge the people that you have to box yourself into around. Expunge the people that, you know, bring shame to your behavior or make you feel out of place for being who you are, for dressing how you dress, loving who you love, living what you live, living where you live, driving what you drive, driving what you drive, and working where you work. Expunge are recover recover your personality recover the fullness and function of your faculties recover your true intentions recover the courage that you had as a child recover that dreamer in you 
that you were when you were a kid or when you weren't, you know, in that friendship or in that relationship. Recover your values. Recover what used to matter to you. Recover your five-year plan, your one-year plan, your 10-year plan. Recover your physical health, your diet, your mental health, your psychological health. Recover your spiritual health. Recover your needs. Recover your boundaries. Recover your ability to communicate your needs. Recover your morning routine. Recover your spiritual practice. Recover. And A, acquit. Acquit yourself of all the things people said uh, when they, all the things people said when they said you are never going to be anything, that you don't matter, that you're a piece of shit. Acquit yourself of all the shame that was cast on you for being different, for doing what you did, for walking the way you walk, for you know talking to who you talk to, for the people you make friends with. Acquit yourself of that guilt because they didn't support you. They didn't come to your graduation. They didn't support your dreams. They didn't get excited. You didn't get it. They didn't get excited when you mentioned wanting to open up a business. Acquit yourself of the shame and frustration, you know, that you're experiencing because they didn't get excited because you wanted to start a music career, because you didn't do what they wanted you to do, because you won't pursue the career they want you to pursue because you won't do the things that you used to do. Acquit yourself from the guilt because you've always taken care of everybody, helped everybody pay their bills, transported them to the grocery store, you know, made sure they had everything they need, paid their phone bills, got them to school, paid for their education. Acquit yourself of those responsibilities that make you feel less than, that make you feel unappreciated, that make you feel invincible. And not in invincible like power, but invincible like no one cares, no one sees what you're doing, it matters to no one. Acquit yourself of all those things because it's depleting you. It's taking everything out of you and you don't have anything for yourself. You can't even fill your own cup and that is your first and foremost, that's your first priority. How can you give to anybody? How can you give to your relationship, your friendship, your family, your job, anyone, when you're not given to yourself. So, acquit. So there you have it. Expunge, recover, and acquit. Take, take these actions and take actions. Stop all this inactivity and get started today because life won't change until you do. It won't get better until you do. If you don't believe that, You'll continue to see it look the same way it's always been. If you want to believe that it's going to be the way it's always been, it's going to hurt no one but you. And you'll watch everyone and wonder why you're being left behind. And it's because you didn't double down and take action to experience anything different. Anyway, in the next episode, we're going to be talking about the importance of finding a mentor or having a mentor so you don't want to miss that. I want to thank y'all again from everything that I have from the bottom of my heart for tuning into this podcast. It means so much to me. And I just can't repay all the kindness, all the love, all the support, all the financial support. And I just, you know, pray to continue to keep everything going. And I will. If you haven't had a chance to, please subscribe. Please follow Please share these messages, share these episodes, and get this message out. 
It helps the podcast so much. If you feel led to offer anything monetarily, what is most appreciated? And, you know, I send the hugs, the love, the kisses, and all the good prosperity and wellness your way back at you. And before we go, again, I want to thank y'all for supporting the Madison Cabinet where we get experimental about exploring your potential. Y'all have a good day. Have a good weekend. Have a good month. We just started November, so set your goals. But have a good life. You deserve it. I wish you peace and motherfucking head greets. <laughs>